Welcome to the Dolores Project, the only podcast endorsed by Sophia the Robot. I'm your host, Joshua Smith, and my goal with this project is to bring together some of the brightest minds on a controversial subject that will help everyone, yes, even grandma, understand what's at stake when it comes to our future with AI and robots. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Dolores Project. Today, I have a special friend and guest with me, Cindy Friedman. She is a PhD student at the University of Utrecht, if I'm saying that right, uh, in the Netherlands, and she's researching the ethics of humanoid robots. She did a master's thesis on this as well. Um, So we're just super excited to have her here today to talk about uh, her research and some of the papers that she's written that were uh, quite quite brilliant by the way and uh, i've really enjoyed uh, but before we get into that let's uh, let's hear from you cindy about who you are what makes you you thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this i think it's a really really great initiative um so yeah like you said i'm a first year phd uh, student at utrecht university i started on the first of march so i'm still kind of finding my way um here in the netherlands at the university um, I am a part of a gravitation project, it's quite a big project actually, um, that is researching the ethics of socially disruptive technologies. Mm-hmm. And within that project, there are different streams that are looking at different kinds of technologies, how they disrupt society in different ways. So I am a part of the human condition line, which is basically looking at how technologies in a nutshell, fundamentally changes what it means to be human. So my PhD research is on the ethics of humanoid robots. So um, I'm working with Sven Nihom, who is my main supervisor, um, Lily Frank as well, Peter Paul and um, Ingrid Rebens as well. So I have a really amazing supervision mm. committee um, that are helping me along the way. Um, So yeah, obviously looking at how these uh, humanoid robots that we interact with in different ways can change uh, what it means to be a moral agent, what it means to be a moral patient, um, and yeah, all those weird and wonderful questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we're really excited um, to see where that goes, and just personally, I'm jealous that you get to study uh, with such, you know, wonderful people and, and very brilliant people as well and who have also written on this topic. So I'm really excited to see where it goes and uh, to see future publications come out from you, Cindy. Um, so what brought you to robots and the, the question of moral consideration for robots? What brought you to that? I think throughout writing my master's dissertation, I think I was always really interested in humanoid robot in particular and I think I found myself there because when I initially started research because I I had a scholarship that funded uh, research on ethics of artificial intelligence and I didn't know much about about artificial intelligence at the time but I think the first thing that I thought of when I thought of artificial intelligence was robots right I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people's minds go there Uh, So my mind went there immediately, but as I read more about robots and humanoid robots and social robots, I just found it so interesting. And I think it it was a more tangible way to see how AI really works, um, how it can work in society. And when it came to the whole moral consideration debate, I found my way there 
not so much um, because I was considering the capacities of these robots and whether they would deserve moral consideration, but more thinking about how how we treat these robots and how we interact with them could fundamentally impact us as human beings. And I started thinking, okay, well, if the way we treat them, um, for example, if we do treat them badly or immorally, if that could possibly negatively impact the human moral fiber, then should we not think about giving them some kind of moral consideration for our own sakes? And uh, yeah, so I, I grappled with that quite a lot in my master's dissertation. Um, and then my my recent publication is a part, came out of that master's dissertation. So that's what that paper really focuses on. Yeah. So let's talk about that paper for a minute, if you don't mind. Yeah, so sure. um, in the paper, uh, which is open access, right? I think it is. Like everybody think can, so. can access it. Yeah. Um, on moral patiency. Could you tell us a little bit about moral patiency and, and where you landed in your conclusions? Sure. So um, I was very interested more in the aspect of moral patiency than moral agency. I think it, it just is, it hasn't had as much attention, I think, when thinking about the whole moral consideration of robots and the whole robot rights debate, which is so polarized, we know. Um, so basically, the argument goes that I, I don't argue for the fact that robots can be actual moral patients because as it stands now, with current technology, um, they don't really have emotions if we are immoral towards them or hurt them physically or emotionally, they're not, they're not going to feel it, right? Um, they aren't conscious, conscious, they aren't sentient. Um, but they can behave as if they are. So if we're interacting with these robots um, and they interact back with us in human-like ways, they can behave as if we have hurt them. Um, so they can behave as if they are moral patients. And because of this, we have, as human beings, a tendency to anthropomorphize them. We have mm -hmm. the tendency to feel that they might have some kind of sentience when they don't actually have sentience and then I put forward that they aren't actual moral patients but they might be perceived moral patients we perceive them as being moral patients even though they might not actually be moral patients and because of this um, and the tendency that we might have to kind of bond with these robots in human-like ways then that brings me back to the point that I mentioned earlier, saying, okay, well, hang on, if we're perceiving them as being moral patients, but not treating them morally well, could this hmm. maybe have a negative impact on our own human moral fiber? And I know a lot of academics in the debate um, obviously argue in similar ways. Um, so yeah. I, I did draw on a lot of the big names um, in the debate. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's, it's a really important consideration, not necessarily worrying about the, the actual capacities of these robots, but also how we perceive them, I think is really yeah. important to think about. Yeah, and I really appreciated kind of where you landed and it was helpful um, to kind of bring it down to earth for a lot of people, um, why we might consider such a... It was something that's kind of out there for a lot of people to think about. You know, we don't 
worry about our Roombas and stuff like that or just our toasters or anything like that. But, you know, one of one of my my supervisors wrote on video games and the the more impact of of gaming and he's very much pro gaming and and so am i but you know for years people argued that video games lead to violence and all these other things and so basically he turned that on its head and said well if it can lead to you know moral deformation then can it also lead to a moral formation so it has to be one or the other right it can't just be it can only lead to bad things but it can also do some good and so I, I think likewise that's where I wanted to gravitate and um, or what I saw you kind of pointing towards is that yes we can there's some potential for abuse here but there's also I think potential for like real um, spiritual formation not spiritual formation but um, um, inner moral development and it has to be both and it can't be either or and uh, I think that's where people don't like the complexity of the argument is that uh, you know it, we can use them for good or for evil and uh, it's not just a toaster anymore and it's it's something that is impacting us emotionally and that's what it's made for right and uh, so yeah why else might you consider giving rights to robots why why else might we consider uh, the moral granting of rights to robots that's a big question <laughs> i think it's, I, mean, I think it's something yeah. that i i would have to think about obviously as i get further with my research because my my focus has always been um on the human impact right because we are designing and creating technology that that we want to benefit us so um however we design and create and interact with this technology should be good for us because why do we want technology why do we want to be implementing technology that is going to be bad for us um mm. So it's difficult because then then I want to steer in a direction where I say, okay, well, you know, if robots develop some kind of sentience or some kind of consciousness, um, then obviously um, we should think about uh, moral consideration or granting them rights. Um, but I've also always been one to kind of steer clear of uh, th that argument for many reasons. Um, so I don't know if there's some kind of like middle ground there where you're not only considering like the human impact or like the robot perspective, um, but if there's some kind of middle ground, um, I, I think that's worth thinking about. But I think I've just been so focused on my own um, perspectives and getting them out there. Um, also, because I'm so early in my um, my research with this master's thesis that I think it would warrant a lot more thought on my part, I think. <laughs> no, that's that's understandable. And I think even those of us who have kind of published and, and thought about this for a while, it's, it's always changing. It's not a static field. Uh, and we really have to kind of adjust as more scholarship comes out and uh, and so that's why your work is valuable and I think everybody's work on the on the map is valuable because it's a constant um, push and pull and it gives tensile strength to what we're thinking about and trying to protect which is the value of 
society and the structures that we value um, and also the planet and and so we we can't and this is what I love about this conversation is that it's it's about all these things it's not just about protecting one group of people but all people and um, as you know there's there's a lot behind this technology that is it's not just about benefiting society but it's about being benefiting a particular person or a particular company and um, I think we have to be very careful uh, of what we consume and the things that we support and value uh, because like you said it does have a moral impact not just on us but uh, on the world in general right and so I think about this sometimes from the lens of my children and hopefully grandchildren one day that you know what what world are we leaving them you know what's what will what policies will we shape or not shape that will impact their world um and to be honest cindy it's kind of frustrating and you know this that it it's such a small group of us in this debate really uh, academically it's a small segment but it's such a huge topic and has such a massive impact um, so let's talk about two things. One, what are you most concerned about when it comes to the future of robots? So let's talk about your, your worries, anxieties first, and then we'll talk about your, your hopes. Um, I think my concern, I, I think it, it's reflected in something that I'm working on um, at the moment, um, is I think probably just being overly concerned about um, technological development for the sake of technological mm -hmm. development um, without, you know, considering these moral impacts, the social impacts, the environmental impacts. Um, so, yeah, th that is something that I'm worried about um, because I think obviously, and I'm speaking from the frame of reference of humanoid robotics as well, because it's what I'm interested in. I think it's what I'm most familiar with as well. And um, yeah, it, and, and it's amazing. And the technology is amazing. And it's this novel technology um, that everyone is just trying to improve on. And we just, you know, trying to get it to be as realistically human-like as possible, which is fine. Um, but I'm just concerned about you know, where this technology will be used. Um, I'm concerned about the m emotional attachments that people might form with this technology that might negatively impact their relations with other people. And I just, you know, maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm also speaking like subjectively, but I, I just think it's so important to just bear in mind that it's important to just keep in mind our own humanity and our bonds with other people um and look i mean i i, I think i'm also speaking from this really weird year that we've mm -hmm. had or like year and a half now with COVID as well where you know technology has been amazing it's connected us in many ways um but nothing beats human connection yeah. and human 
attachment and human emotional attachment um, and I think that is really important to keep in mind, not only when we think about uh, the development of this technology, but also where this technology is used, um, how we advertise its capacities, um, its potential roles in society, stuff like that. So that's where my mind is at. I don't think I was very succinct, but <laughs> that is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. No. Uh... I think the, like you said, Cindy, the, the year and a half of COVID and I had just finished writing about this, um, or like COVID started as I was wrapping up a lot of research and my, my whole thought uh, behind, you know, why, you know, like you fears about integrating more technology into our life, even with just, you know, the AI that we have with Siri and um, and its limited capacities, you know, the social robot that is your iPhone in a sense, you know, it, it already kind of detaches us and disenchants us from a lot of the world. And when you add an embodied robot to that, when you add, like, I just, I think that it's, it's your iPhone on steroids in a lot of ways and the emotional attachment will be much deeper. And then you add into that the complexity of our sexual relationship or a companionship. And now it's so much deeper that it becomes like, you know, if this is your companion, then, yeah, it, it needs to be protected because it's it's going to to morally harm you if something happens to it. Um, and people feel that way now about their phones. I would say if you took away uh, a teenager's phone. <laughs> and that is their their social network and their connection uh, for better or for worse then it, it does moral harm and we we punish kids that way and for, for better or for worse but yeah I, I think I think that is a, a very valid concern that we we should have um, but also on the backside Cindy you, we noticed that with COVID it's also pushed robotics to the forefront right and um and so, yeah, I think it's it's bringing to light a lot of our research and uh, maybe pushed it forward five or ten years as far mm -hmm. as, like, when some of this integration will happen. Um, but but that's, that's the negative side of this, and I think we've all kind of understand from sci-fi, from different books that we read, that there's legitimate concerns. But let's talk about hope and um, your faith in, in robotics or in scholars. What, what are you hopeful about when it comes to social robots? What do you hope will happen um, and, and how, how might we advocate for that? I think I'm, I'm going to sound like such a philosopher when I say this, because I think the, the, my concerns also kind of stems in it feeds into the hopes, right? Because as much as I'm concerned about um, these social emotional bonds um, that we might form with these robots, it depends, right? It depends on the situation and the context and everything. So obviously I see hope in um, the potential that people have to build these social emotional bonds with these robots, depending on the context. 
um, you know, with care robots, for example, in um, in health facilities, um, being used in like medical practices and everything. I think that technology is like really amazing. Um, depending on the context mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I just wanted to put that in there. I don't think it's only like doom and gloom. I'm not only worried about these emotional attachments. <laughs> I think they can be really amazing um, depending on the context. Um, but in general, you know, when it, when it comes to scholarship and thinking about the moral impact of these um, robots, I, I'm just hoping that in general, the community that is working on ethics of technology ethics of ai will just be a little bit more open-minded to the arguments that we are putting forward and just understand that it's really not black and white i think when i tell people that i am a follower of the robot rights debate um, and maybe an, an advocate for the robot rights debate um people just find it strange. Um, so my, my hope mm-hmm. in general is that people just be a little bit more open-minded um, because only with open-mindedness can do I think that we really can seriously think about all of the kind of social moral impacts that may arise because it's it's just important to think about as many impacts as possible. I think it's it's not a good idea to just shut down certain opinions because some opinions make us uncomfortable mm. because otherwise scholarship doesn't move forward. Yeah. We need healthy debates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we learn from history, especially in philosophical and theological circles, um, that there has been a real struggle with that to, you know, even, even with, like Aristotle versus Plato <laughs> it's like you know Aristotle really changed the world when his uh, manuscripts were translated into Latin and uh, the Catholic Church really struggled with that when it was introduced into the universities um, and, and I've found that to be true with this debate as well and I know you have um, is that when we when we say stuff like robotic personhood and um, robotic rights People just have a lot of baggage with the. I mean, and maybe it's related to things that we've dealt with in the past with um, slavery and rights issues and rights talk, and there's been a lot of negative baggage that goes along with that. Um, and so it's it's really it's a lot of different things. It's us asking people to reconsider the whole legal framework. So this is legal reform in in a way. It's it's also asking people to expand their concept of what a human is and what a person is, because we know that those do they're not always synonymous. They can be, but usually legally they're not. Okay, and I think people don't understand that they don't. And I didn't when I first came to this conversation. I don't know about you, but um, there's a lot of legal jargon and lingo you have to learn. And it really opens you up to, okay, this is not just crazy sci-fi stuff. Um, this, this stuff actually is already implemented in a lot of ways. And um, so, Cindy, why do you think we create social robots? What do you think is kind of undergirding our, our desire to make robots look like us? That's a big question, but just, just your opinion. 
Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think it's something that I'd also have to sit. It's one of those questions where I'll probably, you know, lie in bed staring at the ceiling, just like yeah. thinking, <laughs> thinking about it, and then I'll give you an answer, and then I'll probably think, oh, flip, I should have said something else or given a different answer. Um, but I don't know. I I really do think that we just have this fundamental interest in um, what it means to be human and what it is to be. A human being um, and I think maybe in trying to recreate these robots to be as human-like as possible I'm not sure if it maybe feeds into trying to have a better understanding of what it means to be human by trying to recreate um, what we are mm. and who we are um, yeah so, so that that is what is on my mind when you ask that question and also, maybe, I don't know if it's also just a case of pushing the limits and just seeing how far this technology um, can go and where we can go with it. Because if we are, you know, on planet Earth, you know, the most intelligent species um, and, and, and trying yeah. to recreate that, I guess, would also just be a, a technological achievement, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right um, in a lot of ways, and we see that in in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, right? The, uh, Victor wants to create this being, and uh, when it doesn't go well, <laughs> he rejects it, and it's really a sad story. But I think we are responsible for what we create in a lot of ways, um, and so that that is what pushed me personally to that side is. Um, responsibility to you know if you create or if you take in um, a human or an animal not that they're synonymous but that we have a, some responsibility as a more able being to to care for them and and to help and and I don't know I don't, a lot of people don't feel that way about the world and about other humans that were we're not somehow responsible for them or um but yet we're we're always consuming technology and we're always consuming the things that go along with that and so i i ask my people all the time you know do you think about where your products come from are you just mindlessly consuming stuff and you know a lot of sports stuff comes from child labor and, and chocolate and all this stuff that we just enjoy and never think about um and so i like disturbing people and asking them you know do you like shrimp <laughs> do you know where it comes from do you know why it's cheap and uh or do you like chocolate and do you know where your cow cow comes from and uh so i'm i'm just mean in that way i guess but yeah let's uh let's talk about sci-fi let's talk about fun stuff um so, Cindy, what's your favorite sci-fi character? Could be book, could be a movie, could be comics, whatever. Wow. You see, the, the funny thing for me, <laughs> and maybe this also kind of like goes against the grain of a lot of people that are in this field, is mm. that generally speaking, I've never been the biggest sci-fi follower. Um, but I think as, as I've okay. got into um, my own research, I think I, I have gained an interest in it. Um, but I, I think I've maybe kind of got into it um, 
from a different perspective it was almost like this academic reading and like rigor and everything mm-hmm. got me interested in watching more sci-fi movies reading more sci-fi books um understanding the characters that are a part of these stories so before getting involved in this research i wasn't very exposed um to sci-fi literature and movies um but yeah i mean generally i think for me which it, it was a really big um inspiration well not inspiration um uh impact in my own work my own thinking was westworld the the series um obviously you know you've got th- these humanoid robots that kind of start get, they have sentience and like consciousness and these amazing character story developments um going on um mm-hmm. i think maybe my my supervisor at the time wouldn't be happy to hear that sometimes i would kind of be sitting binge watching westworld thinking oh it's fine it's, it's research you know it's it's but it was it really got me thinking um so i don't know if i necessarily yes. have my own um favorite character but i think that series really really inspired my my research and the questions that i asked in relation to my research quite a lot yeah same same i would say that uh dolores apernathy the uh the main uh character in the park uh, of westworld just some background if you're not familiar with the show uh there's a company they, they create this park that is mostly for rich elitist um business people around the world to have a basically free-for-all um with these very lifelike or humanoid robots social robots that basically can fulfill every desire and um, there's the most depraved things that you could possibly want and then there's just regular um, narrative stuff that you can interact with right and so the story what's fascinating about it is it, it follows Dolores and she begins to question things uh, she's unique in a lot of ways uh, she's the oldest um, the robot in the park but then she also leads this rebellion and it kind of follows her journey and even in season three which i think was my favorite i don't know if you've i haven't seen watched season three recent, yet yeah. and so <laughs> no spoilers <laughs> okay okay then we won't talk about it no spoilers then but yeah even in season one um her interactions and um her questioning and just the interaction with different characters and it's very complex a lot of um, philosophy of mind, which I loved, and that's what I was studying before I kind of got into that um, as far as neuroscience and all that. But yeah, just a, a great, a great show that exposes some of the faults and ideologies behind why in the world would we make a park like that and what would be the economical and financial motivation for for doing that and as you learn from the show they they record all these interactions and they use this data um, and you'll learn more about that in season three but you know what how do we you know i see that in our own world in a lot of ways it's not that in a sense is not us dealing with these social robots uh, like Dolores but I see this issue of privacy a lot and uh, especially 
as I think about the grandmas of the world and, and those who are not tech savvy and how they are manipulated in a lot of ways, um, taken advantage of. So yeah, what are, what are your concerns about data privacy and, and thoughts about that? as it relates to Westworld. Yeah, no, that, that's obviously a big issue. And I, I think I've seen it myself um, with my own older family members that are also kind of starting to use um, technology mm-hmm. as well. So I think my, my concern with privacy, not only necessarily as it relates to Westworld, but in general with this kind of technology, is it's so complicated and I kind of just feel like a, a, a terrible researcher sometimes because you start using this technology um, and, and you just get mm-hmm. you get given these privacy statements that are so confusing and there is so much to read. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you just think, OK, well, you know, I, I need to use this technology. I don't have time to sit and read through all these privacy statements. So I'm just going to hope everything's okay. I'm just going to agree and I'm just going to go ahead. Mm. Um, and that's even with like smaller scale, like apps and devices that we're using for smaller things in everyday life. So, you know, what if it does happen, you know, in the kind of like West world scenario and everything It's quite scary um, to think about the impact um, of these privacy issues. Uh, yeah, because just on a smaller scale now, it is so complicated already. Yeah, we, we have a lot to be concerned about, I think, um, and not just individual privacy, but um, how, um, you know, like I, I saw a commercial this week, we're about to have our, our third kid, and it was the an advertisement for a, a baby monitoring uh, system, and it would like track you know, breathing and make sure that you know the, the baby doesn't have anything on its face and kind of give you continual notifications about your child even when you're at work or whatever and I thought about that and and from the Westworld lens it's like what are people doing with all this information and um, you know it's like my wife she we are posting pictures of the kids online and which it's not my favorite thing in the world because I'm like, what is, what is Facebook going to do with those images? What does Google do with our images and all this stuff? And, um, just a concern, like even, even for grandmas and grandpas, right? Like, you know, do they, do they know they have Alexa that they're being listened to and, and all this stuff and who, who is going to help and advocate for them when they have issues. And I think it kind of comes down to, you know, human dignity, and everybody has, I think, a right to to privacy, to, you know, not everything in your life needs to be exposed, and there should be some things where, places where you feel safe that, you know, people don't have access to, and don't need to be continually observed. Did you, did you see the, uh, the movie, The Circle? I've heard about it, I haven't, I haven't watched it, no. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting, um, kind of related to the the Westworld discussion um, about this tech company that is is wanting to push further and further into your life via their um, platform and like integrate voting systems into it, 
um, continually observe everything and they use the veil of security like we we need to do this so that your life is safer and I think even with social robots in medicine um, one of my concerns is that we'll use the veil of okay well how many lives could we save if we were continually watching your your grandma and grandpa you know and it's true like but there's a trade-off like the old, the elderly people that I know and senior adults that I know they're not going to want to be a, observed like that you know that that for them is such a a cultural invasion um and they they I know some of them that would just say I'd rather just die just leave me to die yeah. in my dignity I don't want you to come get me naked in the shower or something like that um but mm. yeah I think those are those are huge concerns that we have to deal with and um and Cindy you're gonna you're gonna help us with that I think well, in a lot of ways and, and hopefully I hope so and I think you know just just one more thing about the privacy thing as well I think also the thing that concerns me is that it's almost got to the point now where um you you almost can't function in society anymore without giving up some of that privacy um and also now you know i've i've done a really big move um from south africa to the netherlands mm. where every everything is just different here everything is more like digital a lot more things are online um i wasn't used to that it was all very new to me and it just kind of made me realize mm. um that so many different platforms have my information whether it be like social media or you know like government platforms and now like signing up for cell phone contracts and all these things that i had to organize mm -hmm. i just had to give my information to people um but i had to do it because i i, I can't function and get things done um, without mm -hmm. giving up a lot of this information so yeah it's a, it's a big concern but i, I also understand that uh, a lot of the time it does just make life easier so it's also like this trade-off as well it's another trade-off um giving up this this yeah. privacy and your information does make life a lot easier but at, at what cost that's interesting and you know thinking about your move and stuff um do you coming from south africa to the netherlands how do you feel as an outsider right how does that how does that help you right it's, it's supposed to connect you it's supposed to to make you feel connected and all these things is that true does it does it make you feel more connected or more taken advantage of look i think i think it does make me feel um more connected i don't know well in 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 what context you're necessarily asking about uh do you mean in the sense that just different platforms have my information so then i just feel more connected to other citizens of the the country I, yeah like do you feel more more integrated into the culture yeah i i think it does it it, it i think it maybe gives me the the strange sense of comfort having moved as well that um that everything mm that the relevant people have the correct information and it, it did make the process a lot easier for me 
um, than it would have maybe mm -hmm. um, in South Africa, where the the processes, the bureaucratic processes, are a lot they're a lot slower, right? Um, so getting things done a lot more quickly, I think, just gave me the opportunity to get things done a lot quicker so I could kind of just get on with my life here and, you know, do the little things, find a place to live, get a bicycle, find my way yeah. around, as opposed to, like, spending ages in, like, queues and everything, um, sorting out paperwork. So in that sense, I think it did make me feel a little bit more connected. I got connected a lot sooner um, with these uh, more digital platforms. Um, but I think even just thinking about social media, I think I've been using social media a lot more since I've been here because it's just made me more connected to people at home as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's yeah. another sense of connection, not necessarily connection to this new country that I'm living in, but to the, the country that I left behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think a very practical approach to it is that there there has to be a balance between you know like you're saying we're, we're trading information and that is the cost but the benefit is being more integrated and connected mm -hmm. to the culture and the people that you mm -hmm. miss and love um, back home and so that's that's an important component to this and I don't know Cindy I struggle with it though I struggle because like even just thinking about the elderly like i know it would make their life safer in some ways but at what point do we say you know it's just pragmatically we just have to do this like it's just unethical not to to integrate this ai or this robot into their life we're just going to do it um instead of giving people the option and really you don't really have an option if you if you want to be uh, a social being and, and not, which I think everybody does post COVID definitely if they didn't before we value that. Right. And so that there's really one option, just give up your data or be outcast. And so, um, I struggle with that. I struggle with that is large, uh, schism between, you know, all or nothing. And um, so I don't, I don't know what the answer is. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to get better or worse. But um, I really hope that people look into research like yours and, and others, even your supervisors, <laughs> uh, Sven and, and others that have written on this and are thinking deeply about it. And, and we deeply appreciate your willingness to, to move um across the world and, and uh, to research this deeper and uh, just really grateful for your time and, and, and hope things go well for you. And I'm sure we'll see books and more articles from you in the future. So Cindy, tell us where people can find you and how they can contact you if they have more questions about your research. Sure. So I, I, I'm on, on Twitter. I saw also, I, I wasn't very active on Twitter before I started my PhD. And then Sven kind of introduced me to this whole world of academic Twitter, which was very new to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I do have a Twitter handle, um, which is at um, Cindy with two Ys, 2303. But you can just uh, search Cindy Friedman. I think you should find me there. 
Um, I, I don't have a website or anything fancy like that, although it has been advised that it's a good <laughs> idea um, to maybe get one just to advertise your work. Um, so yeah, I'm there. I'm, my research is on ResearchGate as well, so you can find my article there, so you can access it there for free. Um, LinkedIn, those platforms, I'm there. They have my information, mm -hmm. so go look for me. <laughs> yeah, they're following you there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Cindy. It was really great talking to you. And uh, we look Thank forward you. to Thanks goodness for again. inviting me. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. You're welcome. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter and on my website uh, for all the projects that are going on, joshuacasesmith.org. Uh, really appreciated this project and the time that each scholar gave. So I'll see you soon, and we'll be back with more scholars and more jokes and thoughts about robots. Take care. <laughs>